Shaylin's mom passed away unexpectedly from a heart attack when Shaylin was 25 years old. Her mom was her only parent, and since Shaylin was co-raised by her mom's parents for a long time, Shaylin felt like she lost her mom twice. Shaylin is also a musician, so be sure to go to the podcast show notes to find links to her music. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please go to the show and leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Shaylin's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Shaylin <laughs> is a part of the club. She is a daughter without a mom. She filled out my the form that I put uh, when I posted on Instagram asking for people who would like to share their story. And yours is a pretty recent loss, just about over a year ago, you said. So I am going to turn the mic over to Shaylin and let her share her story. And then I'll come back at the end with some questions. Um, But I appreciate you being here today, Shaylin. Thank you so much. Well, my name is Shaylin Avalon. I'm 26 years old. When my mom passed on October 28th, almost exactly a year ago now, I was 25. I had just recently gone through a major surgery. I had a huge ovarian cyst that was um, growing and growing and growing for I don't know how many years undetected. It was found in a car accident in early 2021. And it was a source of, um, it was just the whole focus. Our entire family just focused on that for so long that once that cyst finally did manage to get removed, it was so close to my mom's death day that I felt a sense of guilt that I was so focused on and that I was still being focused on because of course I was in recovery. I'd just been cut open in four different spots, four different places. It was um, a complicated surgery too. I honestly did not think I was going to live through it. And I remember talking with her on the phone the day before, being very scared, telling her I was scared of the idea of possibly dying, possibly passing away. I was a Christian growing up basically my whole life, but this had definitely, um, it wavered my faith a lot. It went up and down so much, just wondering what was going to happen to me. It changed how I viewed the world, how I wrote my music. Before all of my health problems and before my mom's sudden passing, all of my music mostly focused on breakups and on love and more teenage themes that I think a lot of young girls can relate to more. So that was that was something that worried me too when I was going through my health problems. I was wondering, oh no, am I going to be the victim girl? Am I going to be the girl everyone feels sorry for now? I don't want everyone to feel sorry for me. And I worked so hard to put on this brave face the whole entire year, act like nothing was happening. I still dressed up the same. I still went out and got my Starbucks and I walked around with my dog. I did everything exactly the same. And then two months before the surgery came, I was told after my third or fourth ER visit that I had to stay on bed rest. And I could not do any sudden movements. I couldn't like exercise. I couldn't dance. I've done ballet for years. I couldn't run. I, and that was very hard for me. I'm very active. I don't like to sit still. 
this loss of just like my whole bodily autonomy was so difficult for me that I started to rebel in as many ways as I could. Even if it was just, you know what, I'm gonna walk a little further today than I'm supposed to. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna have as much caffeine as I can. I'm gonna go with my friends and have fun somewhere because I don't know if I'm gonna live next week. I don't know if I'm gonna be here. And so I was so wrapped up in this idea of my life starts when the cyst ends. And that was what I would tell my mom on the phone almost every single day. Poor woman had to hear me pity party on the phone for at least an hour each day telling her I didn't think that my life was going to be worthwhile if I still had to wait and if I had to be patient and put everything on pause. I couldn't film anything for my music. There was a music video that I remember shooting shortly after my car accident where there was one scene we had shot before the car accident and then there was another that I pushed to shoot after. And that video never came out because it just looked so different. I had so much abdominal bruising from the car accident that I had swollen up, but the swelling never went down because it activated a growth in the cyst. So once the car accident sort of triggered that, my whole body started to change. I had um, a very religious friend group at the time I have friends that are both religious and non-religious, but at the time I was very involved in this church that accused me of being pregnant. And that was super scary for me because here I was, I was very, very single. I had just come off of a breakup with somebody that I had been very, very much in love with for about two and a half years. It didn't work out. There was distance. There was just, we wanted different things. My mom didn't really like him. He didn't really like my mom, so that wasn't gonna work out. Um, But I had all these accusations about what was really going on every time I went back to this church. So eventually I ended up stopped, like I stopped going. Like I did not want to go anymore. I felt like every time I went there, it was like vultures were attacking me and telling me that I didn't know what was going on with myself. So I turned to um, an online community on Twitter and they would pray for me more than um, anybody at that church really did. So I still stayed very strong in my faith, which is amazing to me because once um, everything rolled around and the second tragedy struck, that's when I really started to struggle with faith. And that's when it's been harder for me to open a Bible. I really haven't opened one, I want to say, more than one or two times in a year, which is not what I was doing before. I don't pray as often without being scared. I'm scared that my prayers won't be answered. And that's something that I know is very taboo in Christianity to talk about um, not thinking your prayers will be answered. But the very last, like super, super deep, urgent prayer that I remember praying was when I got a call two days after my ovarian cystectomy, when I was lying in my childhood room at my grandparents' house, my mom's parents' house. I couldn't really talk. They had had to put like a tube down my throat. So my whole like ability to really verbalize anything was so cut off that when we received the phone call that my mom was in an ambulance, I 
pushed every bit of sound out of my body that I could. Very difficult to cry. I felt physical pain when I cried. And so I started to suppress my emotions because I, I knew if I cried, it was going to hurt. And I had been given these pain meds for my surgery, which they ended up taking out an entire ovary. So the healing process felt like I was burning from the inside out, just entirely burning on my right side, could not bend over, could not move. At this point, I was forced to actually rest. And it was scary resting well in English. When I received the phone call, it was extremely disheartening to me that I didn't get to speak with her. Uh, the person that told my grandparents and myself that my mom was sick, suddenly very, very sick, going to the bathroom a lot, um, very stressed out. She had a heart attack in the ambulance and I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. And that was very, very difficult hearing the news from somebody who I was not close to, who um, was her second marriage. He and I did not have a relationship at all. When I was a child, I moved out of my mom's house because there was some abuse going on there from that same man. And my mom, I believe was very much emotionally abused by him. Um, I think coercively controlled as well. Our relationship was super strained from about 14 years old towards when I was 25. I was lucky if I got to see her once a month, everything was super timed. And once our time was up, it was up. It felt very inauthentic and inorganic. And I spent more time in my um, teen years and early 20s speaking with my mom on the phone than I did around her in person, even though at one point in time, we only lived five minutes away from each other. So when I heard the news from him, my only response was anger and retaliation. And I can't believe you did this to me. I can't believe you took my mom from me a second time. So I hopped on a flight, which was not the wisest thing to do, back to Los Angeles from my grandparents' house because I just did not want to sit and be alone with these thoughts. And I ended up on the wrong flight to Seattle, which was absolutely ridiculous. I was crying in the airport, telling all of the um, gate people, why did you change the gate? Which they had. They had changed the gate last minute from upstairs in the airport to downstairs in the airport. I had five minutes to get to the new gate. I got there right when they were moving the little ramp to the airplane and I was begging, I was crying. This was the first time I really started to cry because when things used to go wrong, I would call my mom and I would vent to her. And that's when it hit me. I have to do this alone. I don't get to call her anymore. And I just felt so lonely and sad and small. So I hopped on that flight, whichever flight they would stick me on. I just wanted to be up in the air to feel close to her because that was as close to the clouds as I could get. And so those two or three hours up in the airplane on the way to Seattle, I sat next to this really nice woman who let me vent about everything 
that had just happened to me and I really hope she's doing okay. She was super nice. There was no turbulence on either plane, which was great because I have a huge fear of turbulence. And then um, when I hit the Seattle airport, I suddenly felt more vulnerable than I did at home. I felt like I could talk with different friends on the phone and I didn't feel any judgment because who knew me in Seattle? Nobody knew me there. Then I flew back to LAX and took an Uber home. And when I came back into my apartment, it dawned on me, this is the last place that I really saw her. And the last time we had seen each other was not, it was not the best time. And so this sense of guilt beat into my heart again. You should have hugged her more. You should have spent more time with her even though that wasn't even in my control and that was an outside factor. You should have watched whatever TV show she wanted to watch that you thought was dumb. I can't look at Dairy Girls on Netflix anymore because it freaks me out thinking that I should have watched it and maybe she'd still be here. Just very stupid things that I know aren't real, but in the grief community, these things really tie into your experience. You think that if you had done something different, they would still be here. If you had just been a better daughter, they would still be here. If you had been a better Christian, they would still be here. And that is where um, I started to become very depressed and very anxious. And all I wanted to do was honestly just go out and numb myself I had never really drank before. I was 25 and I had never really drank much. I'd maybe had like one glass of wine before, but my mom was very against alcohol. So I decided to retaliate. If my mom couldn't be here, then I was going to drink. So I drank and I partied. I didn't smoke. I'm allergic to smoke, <laughs> but I wouldn't have smoked anyway. And my version of binge drinking is, it's so sad to anybody who thinks that drinking many, many drinks is possible. My cap is still two. I can only do two drinks. I think my body has limited what I can put into it. As far as alcohol, my stomach will get sick and it will reject it. So even then I can only retaliate so far. But I was definitely numbing myself with alcohol and with my pain pills for my ovarian cyst surgery. And it just, you know, it ran its course. I stopped rebelling, I want to say in, I want, I want to say like February or March. So that took about two or three months of me wanting to regain control. And I went crazy. I was... I was driving around in cars that were too fast. I was testing my limits everywhere I could because I just wanted to join my mom. And I thought, well, my, aunt, my answer to my prayer wasn't what I wanted. And now I want to be with her. And all I could think of was how can I, how can I be with her? But then I would look at my dog Toulouse and I would, I would see, um, that I would be doing the same thing to him. And he's my child. He's very much um, the most precious gift that my mom ever gave me. He 
he's my little angel. He's the most important thing that I'll ever receive from her. The last dog I'll ever receive from her. And if I were to leave him, and if I were to leave my grandparents, who are her parents, I think I would feel very guilty. So then there's a sense of duty that I feel to be the second chance daughter. My mom was her parents' only child. They've raised me since I was a baby. And it was just her and them and me for so long. She got remarried. I stayed with them for a couple years. I moved back out and it was just me and my grandma and my grandpa. And so that bond that I have with them is more parental than grandparental. That is something that I know a lot of people that lose their moms don't have. And that's something that has made it, I don't wanna say easier because it's not easy at all, but it has made it easier to talk about because there's still that motherly presence from my grandma where I can talk to her and vent to her on the phone. It's not the same. She doesn't have the same sense of humor, but she does still love me. And I'm very grateful that they're here. So as long as I still have them, I think that I can hang on a little longer. And then um, there's also um, my boyfriend that I ended up getting together with shortly after her passing, who had been my best friend for a couple of years. So it wasn't something that I was jumping into very rushed, who I ended up moving in with in about April. And ever since I had somebody to cry with and to sit with and actually just be a person with, it became easier to untangle all the hard feelings. I didn't feel like I was alone anymore or like I had to be strong and just continue to pretend that I was okay, which is something that I trained myself to do since I was a very young child to keep everybody, all the adults in my family happy. And it's something that's very common in the social media world too. Um, I do music. So I have an image that I have to put out. I have a public persona and it definitely did put a little bit of a crack in that glass where people could see that my life wasn't perfect for the first time in almost 10 years. And it made me angry and it made me scared. And now here I am on a podcast talking about it and I don't feel angry or scared anymore. I just feel like I want people to understand that it's not, that I was never not affected but I did feel a sense of, I need to keep everything safe because if I'm too open, then people will hurt me again. It's very scary, but I think that this is a huge step. Well, and there is a sense of safety and hiding behind that wall of, of perfection. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what it is, you know, mm -hmm. but it provides a, a kind of false sense of security <clears throat> that if you can keep everything together, then everything else will be okay. Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, it, it literally was three days ago. So we're actually, this is Halloween day that Shailen and I are um, recording this. So it will be published later. Um, 
But I mean, you've gone through a tremendous amount of processing in 12 months. Yeah. I, it took me like 20 years to do the, the work that you've done um, in 12 months. And you really have, you know, categorized it well, like, you know, you understood that you were rebelling and then you decided, yes. you know, that you're, you were numbing yourself and then you had a sense of duty. Um, and then you're, you know, you talked about with being with your boyfriend and being able to untangle your feelings. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of pretty hardcore work in a very short amount of time. It is, it is definitely, um, not something I thought I was capable of without her. She was my go-to for processing emotions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my most common question that I used to ask her was, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? What should I do? What do you think of what so-and-so said? Uh Mm -hmm. And so now there's an inner voice in my head that goes, oh, well, this is what she would think, but what do you actually think? Mm. And it's the first time I really allowed myself to think for myself and to not be afraid of disapproval because when you are somewhat of a scapegoat and a golden child combined all you want is praise yeah Mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah yeah wow wow um my niece actually shared I don't remember which which number of the podcast it is but the title was when mom made all the decisions my sister was her mom and same age as you actually I don't even think Jennifer wasn't 25 yet she turned 25 later that year and it was a huge like like gap in her life because she'd be at Marshall's and she would call my sister to say you know like FaceTime and be like do you like the sweater you know kind of thing yes so my mom and I loved Marshalls and Home Goods and Ross too. Mm-hmm, that was yeah. my phone call spot. I totally yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah. So that's it, you know, in in addition to the physical loss of your mom, loss of your mom and her in her overall presence, like when when there is that huge, you know, connection in mm-hmm. other ways too, then it's a it's it's different layers of loss, you know, depending on your relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's there's that inner voice that you have to call into now where it feels like you're more of an adultier adult. You don't get to be the kid adult anymore. And one thing that I still struggle very heavily with is jealousy because mm-hmm. I see my friends that still have their mom. And of course, most of my friends are going to have their mom. We're in our 20s and we're still considered very young. But in my mind... Because of what I've gone through, I don't feel like I'm 26 anymore. I feel like I've aged up and like everything is so much more serious. And like, I only have so much time to get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And then I'll throw a fit because I think, oh, well, I didn't do this perfect enough. And she's going to be disappointed in me. And then um, my boyfriend will bring me back down to earth and remind me that I'm 26 and that I'm not in my 40s or in my 30s and that I still have some time but having my mom die at 52 has really scared me into thinking that I don't have as much time as I think mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's that's a scary thing to grasp too knowing that my time could come whenever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah 
Yeah. So when we uh, were talking before we started recording, you did say about how that, um, you know, her loss and, and everything you went through changed the way you looked at world and friendships and your music and stuff. Can you tell tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. So the way I look at the world now versus how I looked at it before, I definitely looked at everything through rose colored lenses to keep myself safe and to keep everything perfect for myself so I could cope with family drama so I could cope with unmet expectations my mom while she was a good mom didn't meet all of my emotional needs because she wasn't physically there and so I used to seek those needs from guys Uh and I would latch on to whatever boyfriend I had and he would become my world he would become my everything and if that relationship ended my whole foundation would crumble. Once my mom died, there was this weird strength that kind of sifted into me where I didn't feel like I needed to have somebody because the most important person was gone and I was still standing. And it was concrete proof that I could definitely make it without whatever guy I had been hung up on for years and that I didn't need to take any sort of emotional abuse from another guy who had been trying to come in and out of my life that I was rejecting to an extent, but could not ever fully reject because I had a fear of being alone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once she died, it was so final for me. I thought, well, there's before my mom passed and there's after my mom passed. And they don't get to enter the after my mom passed phase of my life. Because not only would I feel like I was dishonoring her, I'd also feel like there's nobody to catch me if I fall now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it changed the way I look at relationships and what I look for in a relationship. Now Mm -hmm. I look for security and emotional maturity. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be with someone's son who needs to be raised (laughs) that's a nice way to put it it's the nicest way I can put it (laughs) I like that (laughs) someone's son who needs to be raised that's great a very nice very nice way to put it (laughs) uh so has you said you know it's affected your music too so you still writing about breakups and things or what do you how did it affect your music I'm really not writing about breakups as much. It's more so been about my own journey to Mm -hmm. finding myself after everything happened. Um, I recently recorded a song called My Time, which is Mm -hmm. about it being my time. I get to live now. I don't have to be worried about what anybody thinks. And I don't have to base my decisions on what somebody who maybe knew my mom thinks that I should do with my life or what somebody who knew me before my mom passed thinks I should be doing now to process the grief. So that song is very close to me and very important to me. I've written a couple more, but I haven't had the chance to record all of them because I've been taking this year off and just processing so much. I'm very excited to start again. I have all these different concepts in my mind. I still imagine music videos the same. I'm very grateful that hasn't changed. (laughs) I don't know what I'd do if I just had a whole mental block and I couldn't plan something. It gives me 
that sense of control that we talked about before, having a project and having something to put all of my energy into. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So music has been very therapeutic for me. And when I started to do it again, I started to heal faster. Mm -hmm. Well, and I I want, you know, um, your your creativeness and your personality and and who you are. um, I'm wondering if that hasn't lent to your ability to be able to look at this whole picture of losing your mom. Like you did, you did mention something about becoming a victim that you didn't want to become a victim, you know, and it's very easy to go inward to, to shut off and go inward when you lose your mom at a young age, like you did. And, you know, you said it was sudden and it wasn't under the best of circumstances. And so it's very easy to, to do that. And, and sometimes it feels like, um, that's safer, even though in the long run, when you decide to come out of that shell, you still have to deal with the world around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just wondering if, you know, because you're already a creative type of person and, and obviously do some processing to write your music and things, if that has helped you be able to be, you know, a little open and vulnerable and honest with yourself as to what's, what's going on with, you know, becoming a daughter without a mom. It definitely has, but I won't say that I didn't victimize myself. I definitely, I think I barely stopped victimizing myself maybe two or three months ago. It was so up and down Mm -hmm. that I would go through phases where all I did was victimize myself and feel sorry for myself, especially, especially when Mother's Day came and everybody had a mother and I didn't, and all I could feel was anger and rage and I wouldn't leave the house. I didn't want to run into somebody holding their mom's hand. I didn't want to see a little girl that had her mom still because I knew it was going to set me off into tears. Mm. I didn't want to go onto Facebook. I didn't want to see the over the top, superfluous Facebook post about whose mom was best when my own mom didn't even like social media and she requested that I keep her off of it. Mm -hmm. It Mm -hmm. felt like I was grieving something that even though I didn't have it, I didn't have the opportunity to have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but those things are going to continue to happen for you, you know, as That's you That's why they're your- all muted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you, you know, if and when you get married, you know, you will miss your mom then. And so, yes. you know, um, you don't beat yourself up so much about being, you know, victimizing yourself, but it's just, it's, it's an honest and harsh reality. I know. And it yeah. is something I've looked, I've actually looked into the future about that um, for a while as well. Um, I'm definitely very serious about the boyfriend I have now. Anybody who can handle my grief is definitely somebody that I want to keep around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think anything that I do as far as getting married in the future will be more about honoring what he and I want more so than what anybody else wants, which is, it gives me a sense of freedom knowing that because this thing happened to me, we can both look at this in a very different way than a lot of young couples would where they feel they need to meet expectations. Mm-hmm. And now... I just have let go of all of that. It's not even on my radar to be the perfect bride or to have the perfect Pinterest wedding. All I want is to be with the person that I love and be healthy. 
Yeah. Wow. Well, good for you. Good for you. Because I, the twenties are hard. Just, I mean, twenties are fun, but they are hard because it is a lot of when you learn a lot about yourself and sometimes it's not always great. Um, and you, you really have a very, um, healthy mindset already at 26 years old. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm 52 and I keep telling, like, it keeps getting better for me because I keep letting go of all those expectations and, you know, um, and it, and there is definite freedom that comes with that. Um, but you're, you're ahead of the game, Shaylin, you are ahead of the game and good for you. you. Yeah. Good for you with that, for, for doing that hard work so that you can have that kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. impressive I appreciate um, that a lot yeah yeah so um if people want to find you and things I'll I'll tag is it okay if I put your Instagram yeah, and, and all the places for people to find you I definitely want to to um tag that my time we'll put that in the show notes if you're in the car or running or anything while you're listening to this um, I usually try to wrap up with a, if you have like a final thought to share or a takeaway that you want to leave with the listeners today. Um, my takeaway is that every grief experience is different and that while I'm grieving my mom, my grandparents are still grieving a daughter and that it's not going to look exactly the same to you as it's going to look to another sibling or another relative that lost your parent and to not be as hard on them. I've definitely pulled away from my grandparents more than I'd like to, just feeling like they weren't processing it the way I was. And once I stopped pulling away and realized that they were hurting and that they weren't lashing out at me or pulling away from me, it became a lot easier to not feel scared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's extremely important. I'm glad that you said that because it is true. Everybody grieves differently. And just because somebody's not doing it in the same way you are, doesn't mean that they're not hurting too. Yeah. 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 I'm so glad you said that. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Um, I look forward to continuing to see where the journey leads you, how your music continues to evolve and um, just how you continue to grow in this space. I really appreciate you you sharing with us today. Thank you so much. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in sharing your story on the podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.